Lots of things are better together. Hockey, food, golf. How about a cold one on the patio during a nice spring day? But if you really want to take things to the next level, drink some Labatt Blue Lights with your friends and live life to the power of we. Always enjoy responsibly. Beer, Labatt USA, Buffalo, New York. You're listening to DraftKings Network. This is the GM Shuffle. It's theoretical tampering. They're not really saying, here's what we're doing, here's a contract, sign this. The agents know how much cap room you have. There's a difference between reducing a player's salary and redoing a con- and getting cap room. This is what I don't think the fans truly understand. You're listening to the GM Shuffle with Michael Lombardi, presented by DraftKings and VSIN. Here is Femi Abebefe. Welcome to another edition of the GM Shuffle with Michael Lombardi, presented by DraftKings and Visa. And I'm your host, Femi Abebefe. As always, make sure to subscribe, rate, and review wherever you get your podcasts. Our producer, Elliot Bowman, with us on the ones and twos. And Michael, the NFL Combine is already here. It's crazy how we had about maybe five days of a lull in NFL news. But the Combine in Indianapolis, where some of the big news and notes starts to come around because it's an NFL convention. You've been there many a years. I've never been. It's on my bucket list to go one time to maybe rub elbows no, with the decision. No. There's makers. no reason for you. There's no reason for you to there's go. There's no reason I mean, for me to go. <laughs> no, it's just it's, a, a it's like experience? a gossip session. No, I mean it's just <laughs> you know it's a, it's kind of like it's like you know it's a lot of teams trying to get meet with agents. A lot of it is just you know agent meetings set up. It's the per- precursor to lying season. There was a lot of lies going on. The strategy that's involved. Who's interested in who? Who's not being able to get who? Meeting with this team, talking to that team. You know, there'll be so many, you know, the insiders will be able to spread their their conversation out there on different things. So, you know, I, I, I think to me it's it's a little bit like, you know, it's it's it is a convention in the sense, but there's not a lot that really yet you have to be careful on what you believe coming out of there. Because at the end of the day, you know, the agents are smart. They're gonna use a meeting with you to help another meeting fuel that, like I talk about, there's really only two teams typically ever competing for players. Yeah, it's interesting because I feel like for fans on the outside, we just see the broadcast of the workouts and all that stuff, which is really cool that the NFL network has been doing that for a number of years there. I mean, like we all love the sport. We want to consume as much information as possible, but the biggest stuff that's going on is what you're talking about. It's the stuff that's going on with the agents and the decision makers and all the stuff that you can't see on the camera and on the yeah. field there. Like that. So can you kind of peel back the curtains and kind of give us a, a, what that sort of looks like and what goes on in some of those meetings? Well, I mean, you're meeting with, first of all, if you're a team like New Orleans and you're trying Mickey Loomis, so if he goes up there, you know, he and the cap guy are sitting there meeting with agents trying to redo contracts on his team, trying to get that squared away. Then whenever you're meeting with an agent that's on one of your players, you know, he's going to go over his list of guys and they're going to say, you interested in this guy, this guy, this guy? Yeah, we would be interested in that guy. No, we're not in that guy. Talk to us about that guy. Okay, they write it down. You know, and then if you're really hot to trot on a guy, you set up a meeting for a player that, you know, it might be a free agent. You know, I mean, I'm sure Mike McCarthy, the agent for, you know, the the, the firm Priority Sports, which has got Mark Bartlestein, who does a great job in basketball, Rick Smith and, and Mike McCarthy. Those guys are setting up, you know, to see where to quietly gauge the interest of Kirk Cousins, like who's going to be a serious player. So when the NFL sells the media rights to the television, right? So when they sell their rights to CBS, Amazon, NBC, ESPN, 
they don't just sit there and go and give them a number, right? They they don't say, well, CBS is going to CBS has offered us 50 million. Okay, that's good. We'll take your offer. No. What they do is they go out and see what the market will bear themselves. Because the, you know, they, they want most of the money. And so when they present what it's going to cost CBS or NBC, it's presented factoring in knowing that CBS can sell sell ads on on Madison Avenue and they're going to have to do more. But the NFL wants all the money. Well, this is the combines a little bit like that in the, that regard. The agents are out there talking to a bunch of different teams, figuring out what the market is. The market starts high. You know, cousins, we're going to get, you know, Minnesota is going to pay us 45 for two. We'll get 90 for two, probably get 70 guaranteed. That's kind of where we are. Are you in that game? Well, okay. If you're Atlanta, oh, you know, I, we would be in that. We might be in that. You know, don't do anything until you talk to us. And then he might say, well, are you sure you're in that? Because if we do, you know, it's going to move pretty quickly. I don't know. Are we, you know, what? no, we'll definitely be in there. Okay. So now the agent knows and you know kind of where this is going. If you come in there and say to McCarthy, hey, look, you know, we'll do 100 million for two, we'll guarantee 90. If you, you know, that's our deal. That's what we would do with Cousins if he makes it to the market. Now McCarthy knows. He's got it. And if I said to McCarthy, look, I definitely am doing that deal. Look, here's what you got. You, but you got to let me know. Like, I'm not fucking around. You got to let me know. You gotta let me know as soon as possible because I'm gonna move on to somebody else. Here's what here's where we are. And you go from there. And that's kind of what's all happening behind the scenes. And that's why sometimes, you know, that you know, we'll see different that's why these deals get done so quickly because they've been what we call ballparked. They're kind of like they're out there in a ballpark frame. I think that's incredibly fascinating. So like this essentially, like the tampering is being done right now. Like, like during it's theoretical all tampering. Yes, it's theoretical tampering. They're not really saying, here's what we're doing. Here's a contract. Sign this. Here, we would be, you know, we would be interested in that player, you know, for, you know, but we're, we're not going to be. And the agents know how much cap room you have, you know, and the agents kind of understand your team and they know who you're trying to move off. They know who you're trying to redo, who you're trying. To, there's a difference between reducing a player's salary and redoing a con and getting cap room. This is what I don't think the fans truly understand. To get cap room for like, let's just take, let's take Patrick Mahomes. Okay. All right. So Patrick Mahomes, contract is, is up this year. Okay. So in 2024, he, he is due to make a base salary of 9 million. Okay. His cap number is 58 million. Okay. So that's his cap. That's what the chiefs have to do. If the chiefs want to lower that cap number, like they did in 23. They took that cap, they took his base salary all the way down to 1.3 million. Okay, they picked up cap room. So his cap number was only 37 million that year. They could guarantee some of the 9.85 all the way down to 1325. And then that would lower his cap number and it would put out for future years cap number. It would be a problem. Okay. It would just, mm -hmm. it would accelerate more into future years. Yeah. That's the redo. You're not taking any money away from a homes. You're just adjusting a salary cap number. Okay. Mm -hmm. Now, let's take the other version. Patrick, we don't think you're very good. You know, you're due to make 9.8 million this year. You got a 34.9 million, nine, 34.9 roster bonus, right? All right. We don't want to pay you 34.9. We're going to, we want to pay you 15 on that roster bonus. 
well, no, well, I don't want 50, you know, like now you're in this conversation, right? Whereas before you're giving them all the money, you're just, you're just like, they would have taken that 39 roster bonus and turn it into a signing bonus and they lowers this number. Follow me. Yep. Whereas now I'm trying to take money away. That's a reno. That's not a, that's not a reno. That's a, that's a cap cut. That's not, that's yep. not a cap savings. And so I think yep. that's where I think fans misconstrue this. And so when you look over at the league and then you say to yourself, okay, well, who's spending money? And this is an important thing, right? Like which teams are willing to spend money over the last, over the last, you know, 10 years, over the last 10 years, the Patriots have been the least amount of cash spending team in the league. They, they rank 32nd in that. That they, they just have gone through. That doesn't mean you're cheap. That doesn't mean you're, you know, you're not spending money. That just means your cash flow is predicated on what you're doing. Like last year, the Patriots were below 200 million in terms of cash spent. To, I mean, and only the Bears were at 190, 190.6, but they needed that. They needed the sweat contract just to get up to the minimum. That's how little the Bears have been spending money. And mm -hmm. so, you know, that's for what the Patriots spent in 23 was $47 million less than the league average. $47 million wow. less. So that's when true. you redo contracts, so my point bringing this up is not to take a shot at the crafts or anybody. This is about when you redo contracts for cap savings, you're you're increasing your cash flow. Okay. Mm -hmm. So what's so now instead of spending whatever the paragraph five is of the roster that you have, you're lowering a guy's cap number by eight million dollars, let's say. All right, and you're pushing that that number out to another year. Well, you're going to spend that eight million dollars. You follow me? Yep. So now you're spending cash over cap. And yep. at some point, you got to pay the piper. Like last year, what people don't realize, the Houston Texans were the third most the third team that spent the third most money. I mean, they spent money. They were they were buying cap room. When you're buying cap room, you're spending cash over money, and that's yeah. what that's where. You know, that's what's going on at the combine is all these deals. And what your owner will tell you is, look, you know, we we need so do we wanted to get cap room, whereas the Patriots didn't want a bunch of accelerating cap. They didn't want to eat up their cap with 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 uh, a lot of dead money. Like some teams just don't want dead money. They're really good at handling how they do it. You can go through you can go through all these cap teams and see how and dead money has occurred because you're you're misevaluating the players. You're just misevaluating that you're getting rid of a guy that you can't play and you're trying to eliminate dead money. You're trying to have good contracts that can withstand the test of time. Now you sometimes you make, you blow a pick, you make bad decisions, but like the Patriots they don't have, you know, they have very little dead money. You know, McCourty's McCourty's on their cap, Trent Brown will be on their cap for 2 million. But they have very little dead money. I mean, they have eleven point seven million of dead money. Yeah, that's nothing yeah, no, compared to some teams. You, well, you look at some of the other teams. Like, if you look at uh, the Chargers right now, the Chargers have a ton of. They have no dead money. It, well, they do. They have twenty four million of dead money because J.C. Jackson's contract. They had to yep. eat that twenty point eight million. So there's yeah. there's where it is. So when you blow one of these free agent picks like they do, you're going to eat because they would be in great shape if it wasn't for that.
Yeah. And that's why sometimes you see some teams be a little bit more measured that first week of free agency. I know myself as a Dallas Cowboys fan, I'm always like, we need to go out and get something and spend something like that. But like, if you miss on some of those free agents, then the dead money kind of stuff hits you later on down the line there when you ultimately part ways there. Like the 49ers, they only have 7.6 million of dead money and 5.5 of it comes from Trey Lance. So, you know, they're not good. Now they've got to, they're going to have to go through and they've got, and, and here's how they can do things. Right. So they have all this, they have all these, they have roster bonuses on a per game basis, which is the smart thing to do. Right. You never want to do roster bonuses on a, on a game to, on a, a season, just make the right. You want to, because you get that money back if you don't play though on the 45, you follow me. Yep. And so then they, so when you have large paragraph fives, that's when you can lower your cap and spend more on cash. Yeah. And maybe you can make some of those moves in season or during the free agency that everyone's wondering how the, well, how the, high, how the I meant high paragraph hard. fives high, like, yeah. like Trent Williams is at 20 million. Debo's at 20 million. Armstead's at 17. There's a ton of, that's, that's what the 49ers will be doing at the combine, lowering those paragraph fives to buy the cap room to get under the cap. It's the science of what's going on behind the combat. We'll get into the draft aspect of it next year on the GM shuffle. letting some of our listeners know and all of our listeners know actually about what is going on this week in Indianapolis at the combine. And I ask you this because a lot of people think about like the draft prospects is the big deal with the combine. And it is a big portion of it. The team's getting to know these guys and getting another data point and the medicals and all that stuff. But what do you think is going to be the biggest storyline coming out of this week in Indianapolis? Is it going to be these free agent quarterbacks, the veterans, the the cousins, the the Wilsons, yeah. the Justin Fields, the, the Russell Wilson? Like, that's what it's, it's going to be. be the core. It's going to be the quarterback and it's going to be the bears. What are they going to do with one? Yeah. You know, we, we already know we're keeping track of the, you know, the lies that are coming out, but, but I think it's going to be, you know, you'll start to hear a little bit sources. Hey, we really like JJ McCarthy, or, you know, we really like this player or that player. We like neighbors, you know? So I, I think to me, that's, that's kind of what it is. There'll be an, you know, there'll be more of an adjustment on these mocks because the mocks are completely all off base right now. <laughs> So I think it'll be that. I mean, look, you know, I love when we talk about the Raider way, when your man over there, Pierce, talks about the Raider way. So when we used to get the comp, when the combine sheets would come back. So everybody has their own 40 times. So you get a you, you get a, a spot at the 40 yard line where you have your scout time the 40, even though the, the timing's done on the field and there is electronic timing on the field. You have your scout. Most teams will go with their scout. They have two guys sitting on the 40. They'll go with their scout. And, you know, and then when you get the combine book back, you know, the, the, the combine book doesn't have your times or any other teams. It has the guys that were on the on the field. Those are the times. And so you look at what and then what you put into the computer or what you use as your official time, you know, is the time that your guys on the 40 timed it. So what we would do at the Raiders, which I, you know, you don't know this until you start working there in 1999, one of my first draft, you come in there and, and to start the draft meetings, you would get long sheets. They called them long sheets, Al Davis. And so on these long sheets, it would have the player's name, height, weight, speed, all the data that was collected by 
the combine, but it was all the data collected by the scouts of the Raiders. And then there was always an adjustment to the 40 times. So if a guy ran 4.52 based on Angie Koya's watch at the 40, that number might come down. That number goes up to 4.57. They increased the 40 time. Because, yeah. And so you'd be working all off season on these numbers and you're looking at a guy who ran 4.48 at the combine and then you get your long sheets out and he really ran 4.56 based or 4.55 based on the adjustment times. And so when that happens, like, well, you're not selling that guy to Al. Because, you know, he don't run fast enough. You know, he doesn't run. And then, you know, they never told you about the times that they got on their workouts because that was all top secret. So you were out in an island. You were on an island. Wait a minute. You're sitting there in the room and the coaches are the same way. All the coaches were all sitting in the room. And wait a minute. This guy's got a 40 time. And no, the scouts have him at this. And then you couldn't fight City Hall. You couldn't fight (laughs) City Hall. You were done. Those long sheets were like the gold. And he had, and that's what he would work off of. And it had all the players' stats, his numbers, all that. And so, you know, when you are a size speed team like he is, and Antonio Pierce keeps talking about the Raider way, he doesn't even have any idea about long sheets. He has no idea about increasing 40 times. He has no idea about the protocols and the specifics of each position. Because that's essentially what the Raider way is, is what are we looking for at each position? It's not it's not about playing tough. It's like when you when you light a torch and you draft you draft a guy who doesn't even run a 40, you know, I mean, you, you clearly have no idea about the Raider way. I mean, I, I was we, we have a presentation for the daily coach about grading players. Well, you know, obviously, the daily coach is a leadership website, but we're going to talk about how to uh, how scout how to hire people, essentially, because grading systems are no different than hiring people. And so if you don't have a prototype of what you're looking for, how the hell can you really scout, right? You don't have a – that's why all these mock drafts are comical because if you don't have a prototype of what of what the, the coaches want or what's in your system. See, the Raider way isn't a word. It isn't about – it's about this is the prototype of the player we want at this position. This is the prototype of the player we want at that position. That's the Raider way. See, this is what's just so comical. And he's talking about it because he's from Compton. He thinks he knows the Raider way. It's a joke. Yeah. It, it's, it's like you said, it's the prototype. It's not like this, the swagger and all this stuff. It's like, no, it's an actual prototype of like, here's what is the checklist for each and every position for the Raider way there. And yeah, it's, it's, it's kind of been co-opted now by, by Antonio Pierce and, and what they're able to do there. And uh, the Mahomes the, the rules and all that. We talked about that in the last podcast. It's all very, very ridiculous. So uh, I wish them the best of luck. Hopefully it works out for them. Uh, the combine though, this year, the quarterbacks, not just the free agent quarterbacks, the veteran guys, also the college prospects will be the big headliners there. USC's Caleb Williams right now is a prohibitive favorite to be the first overall pick currently held by the Chicago Bears. I'm sure they're going to hold that pick as well as we head to the draft in Detroit here coming up in late April. Caleb Williams right now minus 900 to be the first overall pick. Drake May, the North Carolina quarterback, he's at 5 to 1. Marvin Harrison Jr., the Ohio State wide receiver is 12 to 1, and then the LSU quarterback Heisman Trophy winner Jaden Daniels is at 15 to 1. 
Do you think those odds for Williams are a little bit too much? Or are they just right? Is that is that what it sounds like that this is just going to be the Caleb Williams draft and he's going to go one overall? Because it sounds like there's some differing opinions out there that maybe some people like Drake May, some people might prefer Jaden Daniels, some people might prefer JJ McCarthy or Michael Penix. We got a lot of guys who could be under consideration. Well, I th- I think it's going to be interesting, right? So let's go back. I I don't think teams spent enough time on this, uh, and I, we didn't. We did a little bit in Cleveland with Bill. Uh, we he and I did a lot of it together in New England. But I think you got to go back and really spend time studying the prior draft before you enter into this draft, right? Like, let's just take for example C.J. Stroud, right? L- l- he's a perfect case study when you look at him. I mean, he was getting killed. He was yeah. getting killed for this testing. Like, so my question to you is like, what is this test? You know, what are we going to do? Like, are we going to take this? Like he was getting killed for whatever that, I forget what the name of that the, test the was. The S2 test, the S2 test. Like, are you going to believe the S2 test? Right. <laughs> I mean, like seriously, if you if you're in the market for the quarterback, are you going to believe the S2 test? I mean, when you see the way CJ Stroud played, I don't see how you can believe it. Cause like Purdy was the guy that aced it. And then he played really well. And everyone started talking about it, which goes to tell you that maybe the test is just a bunch of noise. Cause some guys who might do well in the test and guys who might do poorly in the test, both guys played really well. So, so why are we factoring right. in what this test is telling us there? And CJ Stroud's agency has already said that their clients are not going to be taking this S2 test this draft cycle. Well, I, I don't think anybody's going to be taking it. I think that's going to be, I mean, I'm sure somebody who's wanting to get drafted, a lower second level guy, but you know, like, I don't think anybody's going to take it. I, I think the test has become, has become obsolete. I don't think it, you know, look, I think all of them have to be handled in the right way. And under. I think everything like, see, to me, this is the problem with analytics. It's not just everything is not completely 1000%. You got to take it into account and then you have to research more. Like you have to research more of what they're doing. And so what was it? Uh, you know, he was in the 18th percentile of the S2 test last year, which was completely low. So I, I wonder how that's going to affect it. Look, throwing the ball is easy. Most of them don't like to throw the ball at the combine because of the receivers and because of all that. I mean, you know who founded this? The guy, Sam Munson, he's the co-founder of the test. You know, I mean, so, I mean, I, I don't know how they, what their answer is on this, right? What is their answer? You know, it's uh, this whole S2 test thing. And it also just doesn't apply to this. Maybe other things as well. It's the difference between what is actual like relevant information and what is just noise. And I think the S2 test falls into the noise category of like, hey, like, yeah, Purdy aced it. He played well. Stroud apparently bombed the test 18th percentile. He played really well. So clearly like that right there should tell you, hey, do we need to be paying attention to this? My answer would be no. Like, like that, that's yeah. just noise. Let's go ahead and focus on what is relevant information in terms of deciding who we think could be a really good player at the next level. Right. And I think to me, like, you know, when you test these guys on, on profile testing, you got to look at, you know, a lot of that. You got to take that into consideration. Right. You have to kind of handle that. But where does that go? Like then then you that leads you to more questions. It doesn't lead you to answers. I think that's my difference with it. I think the S2 test to me is is a data collection point, but it doesn't lead you to an answer. Like when exactly. you read when you read your Marcus Russell's tap, okay, and 
Lane Kiffin, like I wasn't involved in the draft room. I was in my office and Lane Kiffin was pushing for Calvin Johnson to be drafted that year hard instead of instead of Jamarcus Russell. And he, you know, he had no say over it. And so like he came to me and was like, do you know anybody? Do you have the tap? And I said, yeah, I, I get the tap. Because when you work at the Raiders, you're not getting anything from the Raider scouts. You had to do everything on your own. You were kind of like your own subcontractor. It's kind of a weird thing. But the scouts had this unif. They were like, I, we called them the union. They were in a union. You couldn't beat it. And so, uh, you know, and I, I showed them the, the tap on Brussels. It was a disaster. Work habits, competitive, all those things t- were true. But it, it wouldn't it wasn't going to change anybody in that room's thought process. I mean, it literally that tap played out exactly how he was. And it had nothing to do with how he played the position. It had everything to do with his work ethic. See, that's really what the combine's for. The combine's for a judgment of character. That's really what it is. How much, what does this player, what is his character like, and what does football mean to him? That's essentially what you get from, and the medical. Where is he medically? Yeah, no, that, that's a really good stuff there. And that's why a lot of people who kind of like say, oh, the combine is pointless. And that's like, no, like these are really relevant data points for teams to go ahead and sort of build the profiles and ultimately build their draft boards later on down the line, the closer we get to the NFL draft. Real quick here, 30 seconds before we get out of here. What are the chances we see quarterbacks go one, two, three at the top of the draft? I guess too early for me to say that, but I would say all those teams need quarterbacks. So the chances are pretty good. The chances are yeah. pretty good. Look, Anthony Richardson, I didn't think was a first, was a top five pick until he did all the things he did. So, you know, I, I think to me, you know, fear does the work of reason. You better get one. Yeah, it certainly does. And right now, the quarterbacks are all favored one, two, and three at our show sponsor, DraftKings, to be selected at those slots. Williams made Daniels, according to DK. That's the DK odds makers draft board right now of the mock draft. But we'll find out what happens a little bit later on down the line. That does it for us here on the pod. Thank you to our producer, Elliot Bowman, with us on the ones and twos as always. Thank you to you, Michael. I will see you on Thursday as we start to get into some of this combine news. We'll see you guys then. As always, subscribe, rate, and review.